Hey, what's up everyone? It is Pastor Marcus here from the storychurchproject.com. Welcome to the Story Church Project podcast where our focus is how to redesign the local Adventist church to tell its story loud to a culture that is no longer listening. I hope that you're blessed by what you hear and that it inspires you to make a difference in your local church today. Hey everyone, it is Marcus here again, and today we are discussing a really, really, really important question. Is there a future for the local Adventist church? Now, you know that that's what this whole sort of project, the Story Church project is about. It's about redesigning the local Adventist church. But is there a future for us, or is there not? Now, before I dive into that discussion, I've got to introduce the guy that I'm joined by. He is a pastor and also the currently undefeated champion of the International Ultimate Beard Championship, um, <laughs> Matthew Hunter. Bro, welcome to the podcast. Hey, man. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, bro. Thanks so much for uh, for joining me to, to talk about this um, this really uh, really big topic um look first before before we go into into anything um tell us a little bit about yourself and and also about your about your beard championship that i just completely <laughs> made up but it's it's just awesome it's not even made up it's a fact but anyway fact. <laughs> <laughs> Man, um, if yeah, anyone but... listen to this if you're on instagram i'm gonna try and get a p- picture of matt on there so you can see his glorious beard go on matt go on oh, absolutely no no like man um I was doing the beard thing before Ted Wilson made it cool, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah. No, but um, yeah, my background, I guess, um, firstly, I would like to say first-generation Adventist, um, you know, didn't grow up in it, um, came into the church when I was about 19, and I guess the thing that really attracted me to, to the Adventist church was, um, you know, just the focus on <clears throat> taking the Bible seriously and um you know how framework around what we put around the salvation message i think it's a really beautiful complete kind of picture of the you know um, the character of god um so that you know that that's where i sort of come from um i worked as an engineer in adelaide for um about four years i studied was studying at the time and so um uh, four years i was working as an engineer in adelaide and then i felt the call into ministry um totally different topic but i got called into ministry by um uh a gay atheist which is an interesting way to get called into ministry yeah Um, so sorry for throwing that little uh (laughs) no look i'm almost like dude we should have done the interview about that but anyways (laughs) i'll let people just sit on that and kind of go what was that about anyway um (laughs) that is intriguing yeah it is um whole another story but um yeah, there's there obviously a lot of people, you know, who spoke to me and spoke into my um, into my life um, before then. A lot of really great Christian and Adventist people. Um, <clears throat> but that was kind of the final sort of nail in the coffin for me going off and doing ministry. Um, so I've been a, a pastor for, for just about 12 years now. Um, worked for seven years in Victoria and five years here in South Australia. And that's where I'm from originally. Um, and I guess I've... I've I've always had a passion for um, just seeing the uh, seeing the local church thriving, um, 
and also I've had a passion for church planting for a long time. Um, so currently I'm kind of involved in that space. Um, one of my churches that I've got, I've got two established churches, and one of those churches is um, doing a church plant in a new a new suburb in northern Adelaide, basically. Nice. Yes, that's a little bit of background, I guess, and um, yeah, just a, I guess it's been a bit of a journey. Um, you go into ministry, and when you start out in ministry, uh, you sort of put in places where you've got to kind of just do what's expected of you where you are, and then <clears throat> as you get further along, you find opportunities to, to invest in your passions, and that's kind of where I'm at now. That's awesome, man. And look, I, I, I can actually relate. Um, well, I, I don't have a beard, but um, I can uh, I can't grow one. <laughs> but um, that passion that you have, like for church planning and and for reaching the culture, and especially with the narrative of Adventism, which is mm. like I'd have to agree with you. It's like really compelling when it's properly communicated. It's mm. wow, you know. Yeah. Um, it's definitely something that. You know, I, I've felt and continue to feel like there's really the passion or maybe even the fire behind the Story Church project and uh, and why I love chatting with guys like you, you just to inspire us, you know, and, and, and get us thinking innovatively and creatively in totally different directions um, mm. because we have such an amazing story to tell and there's this culture that's not really listening, you know, and yep. so, you know, how do we how do we connect with them, man? So again, bro, like, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know, like you said, you're a pastor, you've, you've got this um, church plans that you're working on. And so thank you for, for taking the time to, to share with us um, a little bit uh, from your experience and your journey. Now, one of the things that we're going to talk about later is is uh, something that maybe our listeners may or may not be too familiar with because it's something that's only just recently hit the hit the scene. But mm. that's the We Are Church movement. And there's yep. something um, that you're really connected to. And there's something really unique about this that uh, I want to dig into a little bit as we go on. But um, before we dive in... <clears throat> One more, one more question. It's kind of going back a little bit to to an earlier question, but I want to, I I do want to spend at least the next sixty seconds um, discussing this glorious beard of yours. Um, how <laughs> how did you? Because I'm actually like I'm calling you on Skype right now, and on your profile picture on Skype, you don't have a beard. So this has not. You weren't born with it, obviously. No, um, unfortunately so, not. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you decide to grow this? It's pro- it's more of a yeard than a beard. Am, am I right? Yeah, it definitely is. Um, yeah, I guess, like, I've always had a bit of facial hair. It's been a lot shorter. Um, I'll tell you that, you know, um, all good stories usually have a, a really boring truth behind them. <laughs> and that's definitely truth true here. Um Really, um, I've always had a bit of facial hair, but I actually have allergies to, to putting any metal to my skin. And as I've gotten older, it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And I kind of got to the point where um, I couldn't shave at all. Like, I, I, I progressed down the path of different things that are less irritating. Um, and so when I got to that point, I was just kind of like, mm, what do I do? Um, laser hair treatment or uh, <laughs> mm. grow an awesome beard? And it was not really a choice at all. Um <laughs> But the, and the other thing as well is um, I've kind of it, – it's funny because if you see a photo, you wouldn't think that, um, you know, that it's uh, <clears throat> true at all. But uh, if I had it shorter and cropped shorter, I've kind of got a fair bit of space in there between the you know, my facial hair and um, it kind of looked like a bit of a wolfman beard. So 
I kind of have to grow it out to a certain length where it hides that. Yeah, well, you know, that's that's the thing that I've heard because, like, I mean, like I said, I can't grow one, but there is this stage that everyone who tries to go grow one goes through where it's just terrible. Yep. And and then you finally sort of get to this point where it's just from there on out, out it's like glorious. But just before you get there, it's a totally horrible looking. <laughs> yeah, and uh, look, yeah. to be honest with you, it probably in growing it out fuller, it took at least a year and a year of trimming and stuff like that to kind of get a shape and everything mm. else that didn't look terrible. Yeah, so there's a science to this. It's not just be lazy and let it grow. You've got to trim it. You know, I know guys who like oil it. Do you do that sort of thing? Yep. You're oil. oiler, all right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, man. man. You know what the thing is, bro? You know why all these questions are coming at you? Because I'm living vicariously through you right now. Um, <laughs> because ever since the movie The 300 came out, I've wanted to grow. Like, Leonidas inspired me to grow an yeah. awesome beard. But I just can't. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm living vicariously through you right now, bro. <laughs> and but hey, let's, let's dive in, man. Let's dive in. Um, so that uh, so that we have some good time to talk about um, this topic. So as I said at the beginning, I want to talk about like, is there a future for mm. the local SDA church? And, and I want to throw that question at you. And again, we're going to revisit the We Are Church movement and talk about some of what um, in your experience, what that has to offer. But yeah. um, I want you maybe to paint us a picture first of the local SDA church, the way it is right now. Um, mm. Is there a bright future there or or do we need to shift gears? Yeah, look, um, I suppose if, if you ask me honestly, the local Ad Adventist church, I mean, there's such a variety of what that means. I mean, so it's kind of hard to, to, to pin that down. But for a lot of us, you know, our honest experience, if we said what the local Adventist church is now, um, is there a future for it? I would say quite honestly, no. Um, and uh, I think we're, we're getting to a point where we're facing um, crisis to a certain degree where what we've got now is, um, to be honest, so antiquated, so disconnected from our community. And the, the big thing we've got to ask ourselves as well is in, in what our ultimate purpose and what our ultimate goal is, which is to share the gospel with others, um, most of what we do, like if you sit down and think through your typical experience on a Sabbath morning, how much of that is aimed and tailored towards sharing the gospel with other people and, and showing other people Jesus' love? And it's not saying that it's bad stuff that we're doing, but how intentionally tailored is it towards that? Um, because our greatest evangelistic um, opportunity should be every week at church. Yeah, absolutely. So really where we're at at the moment, we're kind of in a place where I think we've got to start deconstructing what church is and rebuilding it from the ground up through that lens of um, thinking about, uh, see, I always sort of think about it from this perspective. What is our target audience? Who are we trying to reach? Mm. And how much what we're doing is it really meeting our target audience and and communicating through a language that they understand, um, doing things in a, in, in a way that they understand it? How much interpretation, you know, how much do we have to interpret what we do on a weekly basis to a brand new person coming in from the community? Um, and, and none of that ultimately boils down to our message or our, our belief structure. It's 
It's how we're implementing um, what we're doing. And there's one last point I think that's really crucial is ultimately if people sat back <clears throat> and you sat back and you asked yourself the question about your local SDA church on a weekly basis, who are we doing what we're doing for? Are we doing it for us to serve ourselves and to serve our own purposes or are we doing it for others to reach others with the gospel? You know, most of what we do, who is it really aimed to serve and who is it really aimed for? Um, I suppose that's a whole bunch of stuff. Right yeah, there. yeah. Well, look, there's, <clears throat> there's actually two things as you were sharing there um, that flew through my head. Because, like, look, I totally agree with you. I was actually talking to one of my leaders recently um, because one of the things that we've um, started doing is um, hosting or scheduling in, like, a visitor's day on a yep. Sabbath, right? Like, a particular day where um, we specifically tailor the program for, for, for visitors and, and things like that. And I, and I said to him, look, the ultimate aim is not to have a visitor's day once a quarter, um, the ultimate aim, like that's a good starting point, but the ultimate aim is for every Sabbath to be a visitor's day. If yes. anything, once or twice a year, we should have, you know, a service that where maybe we can deal with some in-house stuff. Yeah. But the vast majority of it, because, you know, when we think of evangelism, we think of these programs, these one week, two week programs. It's actually yep. the church service that is your most powerful evangelistic tool as far yep. as events go. Um, yeah. So I, I totally hear you, man. Like when we look at it and we say, all right, well, like, who are we doing this for? Mm. Um, that is the most brilliant question. But I think that brings me to, to my next question, because one of the answers that we often encounter is, oh, we're doing this for God and this is the way God likes it. So how do you how do you wrestle with that? Uh, I, it, it's a hard one, I guess, um, you know, it's not an easy thing to answer and I, I try to in my congregations I try to work through some of these things systematically with people um, and I, often I throw questions back at people but ultimately it takes a fair bit of time to sit with someone and go well like let's look at it biblically let's really look at um, how much of the model that the Bible sets and I guess the clear thing that I think about is um, you know I really think that the Bible is not model focused. It's it's principle focused. Um, mm. Jesus gave his disciples a mission, which is you know going to the whole world, um, baptizing people, um, making them disciples, teaching them to observe what I've, I've I've said. Now, there's not really any how to in that. It's kind of like a general. This is what I want you to do, but he doesn't actually tell them, man. This is how I want you to do it. He, right. he leaves it up to them. And there's a really good reason for that because if he, they were literally going to go into all the world, they couldn't take one model or one way of doing things or one service structure and take it into the whole world and effectively reach every culture or every people group. There's just no way that that's going to work. And um, so I guess, you know, people even look at the, the, the early church in Acts <clears throat> and they kind of break it down into a – they try to make it into a model again, you know, that mm. they, they, they ate together, they, they ate in each other's homes um, and they had fellowship and they de dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so people list things off and make it a model. But the reality was it wasn't a model. It's what their 
everyday life was. They did church where their everyday life was and with the things that they had, you know. Mm. Um, they didn't sit down and come up with a strategy and come up with a model. So I, I don't know if that's a great answer, but I guess the thing that I sort of think about is um, trying to get people to think through, what do you mean by that? What do you mean this is how God wants us to do it? Show me where God gives us a model. Um, show me where God gives us a structure and, a, you know, <clears throat> Uh, a three three hymns and sermon sandwich just you know it doesn't yeah. exist yeah absolutely i honestly man i think that's i think that's a brilliant answer like just bringing it back to the bible and saying hey you know can you show me <laughs> where where you base this on and i think most people like there's a lot of people who would say that who are sincere and honest um who would probably go back and say, oh, yeah, good point, you know, and, and might wrestle with it. Um, yeah. But I, look, this whole idea of going back to the Bible and, and rooting it there is is absolutely brilliant because ultimately what we're talking about when we're talking about these things is we're, we're talking about models we've created and things that we like. Um, yep. We're not talking about thus say of the Lord here, you know, and mm -hmm. so if we're talking about things that we've created that were good at a particular time, then we have to be willing to have the conversation of what's going to be good in this particular time, you know, because it's not yeah. always going to be the same. Um, but one of the things, uh, just to just to um, launch forward a little bit here, because I know mm -hmm. that you've been involved in in a movement called mm -hmm. We Are Church, yep. and and this movement was uh, started by the preacher, uh, the American preacher Francis Chan. Yep. And um, I've seen a doc. I saw a documentary of it recently, and like seriously, I mm. tried not to cry the whole time. <laughs> I watched the documentary. I'll link it. I'll link it under this um, podcast interview, so anyone who wants to watch it, it's about twenty minutes. Um, yeah. But um, I want you to tell us a little bit about this this movement. And I know you went to over there to one of your training things. Yeah, just yep. just talk to us about it. What does this movement? I, I guess have to offer the local Adventist church if what we have right now doesn't really have a bright future? Yeah, I guess, and I'll, I'll throw that back in terms of what led me to, to, to go over to um, Francis Chan's church in San Francisco, was ultimately um, I'm involved in a church plant, and last year we were kind of wrestling and looking through at um, what we need to get launched and and. Um, we were talking about, look, we need to have programs that we're running to connect with the community, to reach the community and all this sort of stuff. And so it led us to looking for a space and we looked around in our target area of certain um, facilities that were available and we got to a point where we were really close to signing a lease on a property and it would have basically been a, a $20,000 a year lease for, for, for three years which is, you know, $60,000. And it's a it's a fairly, you know, for something that hasn't really even started yet, in, in, in all honesty, it's a big financial commitment. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that was probably a fairly cheap space. Um, and it kind of led us to go, well, why do we need to, like, why do we always think that what church is, is it's um, this space, it has to be um, this big area, we have to have gatherings where we've got, trying to get as many people into a packed area as possible. Um, what are we, why are we going in this direction? And the other thing is, you know, from an engineering perspective and, you know, formerly being an engineer and looking at all this sort of stuff and knowing where property markets are going, then you're going to get harder and harder 
for, for new congregations to rent and afford or own their own facility. Um, and if fantastic, you grow and you grow really well and you've got a church that explodes to a thousand, um, often what happens is, like, how do you then, um, once you outgrow your facility, buy a new facility or whatever else, it just becomes cost prohibitive. Yeah. Um, and so really it, it's wrestling with, like, I mean, is that really what God wants us to be doing? Does he want us to be in the property game or does he want us to be in, in the people game? Um, mm. And it started to make us reorientate our, our, our um, <clears throat> priorities and ask those questions. About the same time, I watched a um, YouTube video of Francis Chan speaking to Facebook employees. Um, brilliant video. Um, and it was just it was one of those God intersection moments that we were wrestling with this, and I saw that. And he was talking about how he left his megachurch because he just felt that um, – Everything, he was talking about exactly that same problem. They were struggling with facilities and the cost of building. And he just went, this is not really what church is meant to be about. Um, it's meant to be about people. Um, so he left his mega church and he went over to Asia and, and spent time in China with some of the churches over there. And it totally transformed the way that he saw ministry. And he came back to San Francisco. And he basically what he started is a house church movement. And as a part of that house church movement, um, the whole idea of it was that not only is it simple, um, but that it, it can it's scalable. You know, it can grow as big as it needs to grow, and it doesn't need to have any budget. You know, it basically mm -hmm. there's no overheads. Um, they don't have um, they don't pay their pastors because basically. Uh, the groups never grow bigger than 20, like that's absolute maximum capacity. Um, and then if they get too big, then they split off. Um, and so these, the pastors of their churches are, um, you know, they're doing this as a volunteer, like they're still trained and they're still called pastors, but, mm. uh, you know, they're not, um, they're not paid employees, so to speak. There's no budget because it's some in someone's house. You know, there's no property sort of issues. Um, and one of the beautiful things about it is they still collect offerings, but when they collect their offerings, and it's quite amazing, they're quite generous and some like they're giving, but when they collect offerings, basically the local house church decides what project they want to give to. And they want to. They, they choose something that they're going to give to, which um, is helping to spread the gospel. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it's. I don't know. That's kind of um, part of what led led me down that path. Um, and just trying to really look at alternative ways that people are doing things. That um, you know, really, what we do if if we're going to be having to purchase property into the future for our church plants, um, we're just not going to be. We're not going to be planting many churches. You know? <laughs> yeah, look, man, I, I, I hear you, dude. And I think that is the number one thing that appeals to me from the We Are Church movement. I, I do have questions, uh, mm. things that I don't fully understand that probably you've, you know, you've ha had more opportunity to explore. But the thing that appeals to me the most is that because it's so true. Like I think about it all the time. I'm like, oh, I really want to, you know, do a church plan and get, you know, just a great group of people together and start making a difference. And then I'm like, when it comes to property, I'm like, yikes you know i mean like a decent property these days if you're looking to purchase i'm not talking about rent like if you're looking to own your own yeah. location 
especially close to the cities where where the gospels needed the most right now is you're talking yep. about a million dollars you know yeah and yeah. it's like that's a million <laughs> a million dollars can go a long way in making a massive difference in people's lives and yet you know we spend Ooh. it on overhead now, i'm not saying necessarily that overhead's necessarily evil but the tension of this has forced me to ask the question like what future do we really have if mm. if this is the model that we pursue time in and time out well you're right like i don't think we'll be planting a lot of churches um with within that scope you know within that that sort of model so look yeah. I, I've, I've got two questions that i want to ask you on this because yep. i'm really intrigued by this we are church thing um mm. and i want to know more about like how does this because obviously, you know, like Chan is coming at this from a congregational sort of model. I mean, maybe not exactly yeah. congregational, but something of that yeah. matter. Obviously, as Adventists, we have a global model. So I mm -hmm. want to talk about, like, how does this actually look within mm -hmm. a global model? Like, what are the mm -hmm. challenges or the opportunities? But before I get to that, that's my second question. Before I get to that, um, I want to tackle what was probably a, a sort of an elephant in the room. Yeah. Um, because I've been a pastor now for a few years, but I've been involved in ministry, you know, for, for, for many years since I was 17 years old. And one of the conversations that I've always run across whenever there's something, you know, amazing happening in the world of church ministry mm. um, is, you know, you'll, you'll have people who are like, oh, let's go learn and see what's going on so we can implement mm -hmm. it. But then you've got people who are like, no, we are Adventists. We must learn from no one. <laughs> um, yep. And so it's, you know, obviously this is, you know, Francis Chan's not an Adventist. And, and yeah. so, you know, when you've got local pastors and, and local church members who are like looking into this and saying, oh, this is brilliant. And you try and implement it. That's one of the obstacles you're going to run into. So um, yep. I want to tackle that. And then I want to go back to the whole sort of global model thing. But speaking on the whole like thing of learning from someone um, or, or being inspired by someone who's not Advent, it's like, where do you sort of or how do you navigate that tension, you know, with people who are who have that mentality? Well, it's obvious that as, Advent, as Adventists, we've got nothing to learn from people on a theological framework. I mean, obviously, of course not. <laughs> I say that very tongue-in-cheek. Um, I guess the, the point is, um, the first thing I often say to people is we've got to separate out theology from practice. You know, they're, they're not the same thing. Um, just because I'm learning from how someone does something doesn't mean I'm now adopting their whole um, beliefs framework. They're two different things um so the practice of how we model and run church um you know really the model that we have as an adventist church comes from our history and and comes from you know the scenario of um as the church was growing across um america you know in the 1800s um and the main method of transport was still horseback and stuff like that i mean those sort of factors is what has influenced our structure um, mm. and the way we do ministry. So it's not a theological issue to, to learn from how someone is delivering the gospel to other people. Um, so that's one, you know, that's one delineation I suppose it's important to make. Um, and I guess the other thing as well <clears throat> is that you have a look at the early Adventists. Who did they read? Like what, they didn't just have Ellen White books back in the early days of Adventism. <laughs> yeah. um, were they just sitting around reading Uriah Smith's Daniel and Revelation 50 times over because they didn't have anything else to read? Like, what did they read if they wanted to read Christian stuff? 
um, you know, when Ellen White wrote The Great Controversy and the other things, she actually uh, she actually used other authors, you know, to collate her information and to collate those books together. Did she only use Adventist authors? Mm. You know, I don't think so. so <laughs> there's the actually there's actually a man. I can't remember where the link was, but there's actually a um, uh, a link that pretty much like just laid out all the different books that were on her library when she died. Yeah. Like she had all these different. You know, obviously she had a pretty full library. She was an avid reader, and yeah. um, and you know there was lots of books on there, obviously written by people from all different kind of theological persuasions. Some of which she, in writing, actually expressed were her best works, and and you yeah. know her the best books, the ones she loved the most from her library that she requested someone send to her. I can't remember who, and and she specifically laid out, you know, like, oh these are my best books, and none of the authors were Adventists. You know they were, yeah. you know they were reformed, you know mm -hmm. um, Protestants from different traditions. So you're right, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and I guess the thing is, <clears throat> you know, using a, an analogy of a stream and drinking from a stream, do you want to drink from a really small little stream that doesn't have a lot of flow in it? Like, I mean, what's going to happen? You're going to get sick and probably die. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. if, we're, if we're drinking from a very shallow pool of, mm. of, of things, um, you know, and the other thing I would say is that it's a really healthy thing as a Christian to to learn how to um, read something and not have to adopt everything that the person says. I mean, <clears throat> that's that's kind of not the idea is to check your brain at the door and I read this and I just think that everything that they say is 100% correct and not use critical thinking to kind of evaluate it. Um, yeah. So, you know, I guess I'll just take a, a, a practical framework um, at it and I, in, in answering that and I don't expect <clears throat> people to... There's two things, I guess, is I don't expect people to be fully on the same page with me on that. I understand that people have skepticism and they, they, you know, they worry about it. Um, and the second thing I often say to people is, okay, well, you might be worried about it and you might be concerned about me going off and learning from this guy called Francis Chan who's not an Adventist, but test, uh, test the results from the fruits. Mm. You know, Let's see if I completely lose the plot um, theologically and... Um, start heading off down some wacky track <laughs> or you, you tell me if um, I come back with some different ideas that we can implement in our local church to help us be more effective in spreading the Adventist message to our community, you know. Yeah, yeah. I like that, man. Like that's, that's, that's really powerful. That's really powerful. I, I, and and it's, it's practical and sort of sometimes you can get wrapped up in these endless back and forth ping pong battles when you sort mm. of do the sort of focus on the theological thing, but you know, that sort of practical angle, like, hey, you know, let's go for it and see, you know, <laughs> test yeah. and measure and see. It's it's a lot harder to end up in this deadlock of, you know, like I said, like this ping pong battle back and forth for forever. Um, yeah. But, you know, with that, with that said, uh, there is the obvious challenge of a global system, you know, so mm -hmm. as a global church that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. um, I like the We Are Church model. Um, and, and, I, and I, to me, it sounds... A whole lot like what you see in the New Testament. It's it's not necessarily modeled after the New Testament, like as yeah. you were explaining earlier. It's not like a, a model or a, just another trend or something like that. But yep. it does sound so much more like like what you see in the New Testament. Mm. Um, and so, 
my biggest question is, okay, like suppose I decide I want to go do this thing and start a catalyst of church plants that, um, you know, inspired by the We Are Church movement, you know, local home-based mm-hmm. movements that are just sweeping across Perth or Sydney or whatever. Uh, how does that work in a, in a global model? Yeah, I guess that's part of the challenge. Um, you know, earlier this year I was talking to an administrator um, here in Australia and so one question that they actually asked me is if we did this house church model um, thing, then, uh, you know, how do we control it was the question. Um, and I thought, that's an interesting question because um, it just <laughs> kind of would grow and explode and there's suddenly these house churches everywhere. The question I actually asked is, um, so you believe you're actually in control of the churches you've got now? I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> How much do you really like? You've got this one over here in the, you know, um, you know, in this sort of controversy, and this one's really unhealthy. I mean, I guess the thing is, the illusion of control is a um, a really careful thing that we've got to guard against. Um, but on top of that. How do we do this in a global sense? How do we do this um, in a global church where we're all around the world? Um, I think the first thing is that we need a fair bit of trust. Um, But the second thing is, um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, um, it would be a mistake to think that the We Are Church model um, is really just very simple and organic. You know, um, this is one misconception I think people have of it. They go, oh, they just went and started a house church and they just went and did this and it, um, it's just sort of grown to this and, you know, it's, it's kind of happened. Um, mm-hmm. I can tell you um, one thing that we learnt when we went over there, they were very clear in sharing their structure with us and their intentionality. Um, Francis Chan, <clears throat> remember, he grew a church out of his house uh, his first church cornerstone from out of his house and it became a church of about ten to 15,000, I think it was, by the time he left it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he didn't come to doing this with no ministry experience um, and he was very intentional and they've got a very clear structure. Mm-hmm. They've got a very clear way of doing it. Um, and so kind of summarising a little bit is that, um, <clears throat> you know, they have, you know, they've got church values um, that they have surrounding what they do. Um, they, the, the church values are that they say, we are family. Um, so in other words, <clears throat> you know, they see each other as real family. My home is your f- home. My stuff is your stuff. Um, they, they second thing is that they've got a simple gathering. So, you know, success is not obedience. We're not measured, measuring this based on, on results, but based on obeying God. Um, and, and just coming together and simply worshipping God. Um, the, the third value they've got is that they're missional. You know, when they move into a community, they're not, um, you know, they're, <clears throat> they're basically coming into that community to serve and proclaim the gospel to that community. And, um, you know, they're on a mission together to, to do that. Um, they also, the fourth principle is that they train and equip and they have discipleship from the ground up. So, this is what's really key is um, I asked them this question, you know, how do you develop leadership? And so basically they're pastors of their churches and the houses. They're just local lay people that have been trained. But every house church has two pastors. One is the established pastor. 
One is a, kind of like the pastor in training who the next year when they split and they create two new churches, that person will go off and start the next church. Mm. Um, and they always have that, you know, that traineeship. And then they have identified within themselves two more pastors who would then become the next two assistant pastors, if you want to, you know, call it that. Um, so they have a really clear, um, you know, intention with that. The other thing that they do is every single person is in a discipleship, um, you know, or mentorship relationship. Um, so everyone is discipling someone else and they're being discipled by someone. Um, and they have expectation surrounding that. Um, and so I guess the thing is it's really very clear. They are quite structured. Um, they have a list of 10 practices as well um, that they that they have. Um, so the 10 practices, you know, basically they have a Bible reading plan. So everyone reads through the Bible in a year. Um, they, they meet in homes, which is pretty simple. That's just they want to keep it out of meeting in neutral spaces, but meeting in homes. Mm. Um, again, you know, everyone's being discipled and everyone is discipling someone else. They multiply leaders intentionally. Um, they yearly multiply churches. So every church splits every year. Um, wow. And that's what they work towards. Um, again, simple gatherings. Everyone is meant to use their gifts so there's no hiding in it. Like there's no kind of um, saying, well, I, I don't, you know, I don't participate and I just sit here and watch. Everyone's expected to use their gifts. Um, and they live like a family. They share possessions. Um, so it sounds like Acts Church. Um, and they assume that, that you know, missions, they, they, they're all about missions and they're all about um, going into their community and, and reaching their community. Yeah. Um, so that's a big summary of what they do. I guess the point that I have is that um, there's a very clear structure that they have, and they have um, above the pastors, they've got elders. Um, that's kind of the top position in the church, um, and they have five elders, and then they've got one elder who kind of is above the other elders. Um, and as the pastors, every single week, the pastors, on, on it's obviously on Sundays, they come together at 7 a.m., and they meet together for prayer together, mm. um, and they meet together for an hour and a half for prayer, and then they um, they go off and they, their house churches start at 10 a.m. And they run through till lunchtime. They have lunch together. And in the afternoon, they go out into their community and do mission to try to – some sort of mission project to try to help reach the community where they live, where the house yeah. church is. Wow. So – and that's kind of a bit of a structure that they're very intentional about. Um, and, you know – it, I guess the point is um, it hasn't just happened. And so I look at that and I think there is a way to be structured but have simplicity. Mm. There's a way to be intentional um, and still have connection across a broader um, a broader group of house churches. So it's not just like house churches running off and doing stuff independently and there's yeah. no connection together. Um so can it can it work in the Adventist system? Um, absolutely, um, absolutely. But the key thing is, it's it's not. Um, hey, let's get together next week and meet my home, and we're going to break bread together, and we're just kind of figure out what we're going to do and talk about. Um, I see that that kind of way of doing it could lead to disaster because you've got no yeah. real direction, you don't know what you're doing. 
Yeah, and that's the thing I've heard, the critique I've heard of a lot of like these organic churches is that they they start out really strong because everybody's really excited you know the novelty it's something new it's unstructured it seems cool but then like they usually are dead within a year or two yeah um whereas the we are church movement isn't actually seeking to replicate the organic movement it's saying look we can, no. we do need to have a level of structure and 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 mission focus but yep. it's 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 not about getting rid of structure it's just about being simple yeah. And, and to me, that's what really appeals to because look, you know, here and you may relate to this, some of the challenges that we face in local church, you know, 90 percent of my members don't live anywhere near the church itself. Yep. So how do you run a prayer meeting? You kind of yep. can't because people have to drive way too far on a Wednesday night, you mm-hmm. know, um, after work. Some of them take some 40 minutes to get there for a one hour meeting and then 40 minutes to get back on top of picking yep. your kids up from school. It's just not going to happen. Prayer meetings mm-hmm. dying, you know, um, yep. you've got, you know, you've got that sort of real challenge. And then, of course, you've got the challenge of aging buildings and the upkeep mm-hmm. of these aging buildings and having to renew them within this within the limits of new council regulations and the price just goes through the roof and yeah. that's for an established church then you've got older church or newer churches who don't even have a building and you've got to find the building and you know the building alone you're talking maybe a million dollars and you haven't even fitted it yet and you've got to have it designed the right way with enough bathrooms and enough parking and wheelchair access and all these different things i mean it's just it's 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 a lot of obstacles and on the mm. one hand you can look at it and say hey look god is a god who slays giants there's no problem yeah. let's go for it we can we can still make it happen and i'm happy to have that conversation but on the other side i'm thinking to myself yeah god is a god who slays giants but when mm. when 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 saul put all that armor on david he was like uh-uh mm. you know I'm just yep. going to use a sling and a stone. Yeah. And I feel like that's what we're doing. Like we're facing Goliath wearing all of this armor when Ooh. we should just go to the brook and pick up a sling and a stone. And 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 that's what this We Are Church movement really reminds me of. It's yep. just getting really simple. Yeah. And and the beauty of it is that as I watch the documentary and as, I, and as I've heard you talk about it, is that Ooh. what this sort of movement gives birth to is really relational groups of people who mm. really make a difference where they are and whose lives their own personal spiritual lives are mm. severely positively impacted mm. whereas your traditional church model you don't always get that you know you get people uh, who end up fighting about worship styles and who end up um you know getting so busy maintaining the upkeep of the church that they just don't have time to mm. really plug into a small group and 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 make a difference in their community, you know. Yeah. So there's so much about this that I'm like, I want to look into this more. <laughs> yeah. And and so tell me is my last question. Yep. Where are you right now in sort of the implementation stage of this? Are you still in conversation stage? Are you looking at actual application? Where where are you? Well, I guess the thing that's kind of hard, and this was this is a challenge coming back from from going over there and and um, and going through the training and seeing it is it just went, you know, it's fantastic, it's really great, um, but then how do I do it where I am? And mm. <clears throat> the honest truth of it is, I've got two um, kind of fairly established churches that are, you know, they're not small churches, and then one of them is trying to plant this church, which I don't have a lot of time already. Mm. Um, and the, the best way to implement these things is by doing it yourself and right. by modeling it 
and um, and that sort of thing. And quite frankly, it just hasn't been possible to kind of really get that that time to do it. Yeah. Um, but having said that, we it's again like I said, it's not about the model; it's about the principles behind it. And a couple of the key things that I've taken from it that I've been able to implement in um, both the church plant that we're doing and, and the local churches we're in is they have a very high, um, <clears throat> very high expectation standard when it comes to the personal spirituality and commitment to spirituality, um, and they should they have a shared commitment of that in their church, and that's one thing that I've really focused on, um, sort of this year and. In, in the churches that I've been in. Um, and I guess the other thing going forward is um, really just looking to, um, yeah, just really looking to um, learn the lessons of how he went about getting to this part, this, this, this process. Um, mm. I see what Francis Chan did is he took all his experience and his expertise in running a successful church um, and and his understanding of structure and how to do things. And he basically took the, the, the problem of, like we said, resources and the prohibitive fact of, you know, spending lots of money on buildings. And he took the principles of good church governance and he applied it to that problem yeah. and came up with a model that, that worked. So I guess the thing for me is it's, again, it's not so much about the model that you come up with, but it's about you know, using good principles of, of church governance um, and applying it to a particular problem and your particular situation. Um, yeah. So that that's really what he's that's what he's done well, and and that's what we've tried to do. So our church plant that we're currently doing is still down the more traditional model. We're we're hiring a facility, um, but it's not something that we have to hire all the time. So we're minimising cost, um, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to deconstruct what church is all about we're starting from the, the ground up and we're saying let's keep this simple and let's make sure that everything that we're doing has real intention behind it yeah um, and so you know we're going to be doing a pop-up church um in a couple of weeks time um mm. which is basically a one-off church service to it's a bit of r&d um without having to spend a lot of money we're we're kind of um running a church service inviting some of the people in the community that we know that don't go to church regularly that, that are, are interested um, and they're coming along and we're going to be getting their feedback on how they think things went because um, yep. they're our, our target audience um, and we're just we're taking a lot of stuff out of the church service that we think is just you know I mean who wants to go and sit in a church service for an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes um, when you know, <laughs> 50 percent of it's irrelevant to you um, yeah. and so we're taking, like, we're not going to take up offerings. We're going to have a donation box down the back and explain it. Um, we're going to have a, a, a prayer and a, and a song, like welcome prayer and song, and then launch into the talk. Um, mm. and have a couple of songs and a couple of little announcements and finish. So trying to keep the whole thing to 50 minutes. Um, just trying to show respect to people, mm. um, and I guess, does that look like the We Are Church? Mm, probably not, but um, trying to take some of the principles and some of the, the whole way that um, what Francis is trying to do and, and apply it to our particular situation and what we're capable of doing. Yeah, 
That's fantastic, man. And and look, I, I can resonate with some of what you said there because, um, you know, obviously one of the big challenges is um, once you are already sort of pastoring, you know, your time is stretched, your time is stretched. And so, you know, my, one of my prayers is that um, in, in due time, in God's timing, yep. that um, some time can be opened up for yourself and for other leaders and thinkers who are, are thinking in this direction uh, mm. to really implement some of these things on a more sort of like profound level and see what happens because i do believe that there's a lot of beauty and potential there but in the meantime i love what you're doing i love that you're taking the principles and and saying all right let's apply this to what where we are right now Mm. and and do you know and see what happens and i can already see that there's something really neat happening there in terms of people thinking missionally instead of hey this is our show and this is how we do our show and we're just going to keep it yeah. this way, you know? So that in itself is already, you know, a church that I would say to my secular friends, hey, come check this out, you know? Yeah. Um, so, hey, look, we, we are like um, out of time, but the last, I said I had one more question, but I actually got one more. Uh, yep. If someone has been hearing this interview and they're like, I like this Matt guy, I want to find out how I can grow a big beard and also... <laughs> um, and also a little bit more about the We Are Church movement and, and maybe get in touch with him and see how we can implement this in our local Adventist setting. Uh, yeah. How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, look, you can um, you can hit me up on Facebook um, and probably Instagram if you can if you can find me on there, um, Matthew Hunter. Um, and I guess the other thing as well is um, really happy for, for people to get my email address. Um, it's just matthewhunter at adventist.org.au. Um, flick me through an email. Um, I've got tons of stuff that, you know, so much information that we didn't have time to share on here and, and stuff like that um, that I'm happy to share with anyone. Um, and, you know, if, you, if you're not great with Facebook or finding me on those sort of platforms, email me and I can give you a link. Cool. That is awesome, man. Well, thanks again, Matt, so much uh, for taking the time to come on here and talk to us about the We Are Church movement and also your uh, your passion for the local Adventist church and our movement and, and what we have to say to the world. For those of you guys who have been listening, thanks again for uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule to listen to another episode of the Story Church Project podcast. And uh, look, if you haven't had a chance yet, there's uh, a book on the website, thestorychurchproject.com. It's called Why Is Adventism So Weird? If you haven't gotten a copy of it and read it yet and shared it with your leaders, I'm telling you, you want to do that. Uh, in that book, I share the probably what is the bottom line reason for why so many local Adventist churches are dead and, and sort of the journey that I went through with that and, and what I discovered that can really help revive our churches. So check it out, guys, and uh, I will catch you next week for another episode. God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's latest episode of the Story Church Project podcast. I hope you were blessed. If you haven't yet had a chance, I want to invite you to head over to thestorychurchproject.com and subscribe to the newsletter. Not only will you get the latest updates every week, but I'm also going to send you a free gift straight to your inbox. You don't want to miss it. I'll catch you on the next one.